Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Good morning. Good morning. I hope you got a donut. I hope you got some broad coffee. Um, it is a good day. It is a great day. We got a photo booth and we got some candy for the kids. If you're not a kid, you better not be touching their candy. I, I've seen their, the whites of their eyes and they want their candy. So as adults, do not touch their candy, okay? This is for them and them only. I'm just kidding. Well, not. Uh, so you, you fight it out with Soren and Blakely, all right? It's a, and, and just... You fight for the candy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Sean. I get to be one of the pastors here at Refuge. If you're online and joining us, you might be joining us on Facebook. You might be joining us on YouTube, but we'd love for you to bump over to live.refugeoc.com and check that out. It's a really neat interactive way to get involved with the life of Refuge if you're part of our online community. So we're glad you're joining us online. And then for those that are here in person as well, uh, we've got a virtual connect card um, I'd love for you to just take your phones out. Everyone's got a phone, and it has a QR code. You just you just kind of set your camera up there, and then all of a sudden a website pops up, and then you can leave information. That way, if you need prayer, if you need some sort of uh, just connection point with a pastor, we'd love to connect with you. We uh, don't take advantage of that information, and we pray over each of you with significance. So connect with us if you get a chance through that connect card, and uh, we'd love to stay in touch with you or update your information as well. We um, do a lot of um, digital here because, um, well, we're saving the trees. I think that's our motto. So if you do um, do want to know what's happening in the life of our church, there's a um, website link. It's refugeoc.com, and it's slash weekly, and that way you can see what's happening in the life of our church. It's uh, so many things as we come back into community, so many things are happening, and uh, you get to see what we're doing on a weekly basis. Um, so can, you know, check that out. If you're kids, there's things on there for kids as well. Um, if you're at home and you want to see, hey, what do we have at Refuge for our kids on that, on that site as well, and there might be a slide up there, um, you get to see what we have going on so you can connect and, and even minister to your children at home. So that's kind of cool. One of the coolest things that happens as a community is, is I get to see the generosity of Refuge from, from here in Orange and surrounding cities, and I get to see that um, um, people love this city. They love um, giving back to the church, and they love missionaries. And so um, we're thankful for that. Um, we, we see the money being used all across the world and here in the heart of Orange County. It's so cool. A very generous church, and praise God for that. Thank you for your generosity. We love that. There's several ways to participate in the life of giving here at the, at the church. You can text. Uh, you can email. Um, you can you can set up an app on your phone. It's really easy as well. And then I guess if you're old school and you want to do it, um, you can write a check. Uh, that's a piece of paper for some of you young ones. It, it's people write on them. Usually at the grocery store, there's a lady in front of me that's writing a check. And, and I, I'm, I'm just kind of like, really? You haven't found the debit card yet? Like, you don't know how this works? So, But no shame. I'm glad that you're um, giving via check. It's very, really cool. So 
Hey, that's, um, that's a little bit that's happening here in the life of our church, but we've got two key dates I want you to mark on your calendar. This is really important. Um, if you have youth, youth, if you have youth, we're doing a lock-in. Now, that sounds kind of strange, right? Look at, there you go. Come on. Um, we are going to actually um, take over this building, clear out the chairs, and our um, youth pastors are going to just... I don't even want to know what they're going to do, to be honest with you. we got a cleaning crew coming the next morning, but that's April 16th and 17th. You're going to want to um, get your kids signed up, and um, there's a small fee, but just so you know, we've also set aside some sponsorships. We want everyone there, so talk to Pastor Kai and uh, Yuli and John, and all of them will, will get you hooked up on, on the um, getting involved in the, the locked-in. So um, if you're seeing this online, we'd love to have you as well come. So um, that's... April 16th and 17th, and then this big date. This is something you need to just put on your calendar right now. I hope you have your phones out. One of the greatest things we get to do as a church is Royal Family Kids Camp. It's a camp for foster kids. We get to go up to the mountains. We take some foster kids, and we just love on them. So I hope that you will put on your calendar June 27th through July 2nd. Now, you're like, wait a second. That's a whole week. What do I do? Well, here's what you do. You go to your boss unless you own your own company, and you say, hey, I want to take this days off, right? So just right now, this is, the, this is how you say, hey, boss, I'm going to take these days off because I'm going to go to help foster kids. Now, if the boss says no, okay, here's who, what I want you to do. Have him talk to Brenton, okay? Have him call Pastor Brenton, and I'll let him negotiate for you. But Royal Family Kids Camp is an awesome program, and uh, we participate in it, and we love it, and we want you to join us. So, hey, we're glad you're here at Refuge. Brent has a phenomenal word for you today. Get your phones out to take notes, and get your Bibles ready. Fasten your seatbelts. Here's Pastor B. If your boss says no, have him call me. What am I going to say? El Jefe? Let him go, all right? I don't know. Hey, good morning. If you have a Bible with you, if you have a Bible app, I would love for you to turn to Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to read. I could not pretend to do it as well as Blakely just did it for you, but we are going to reread it. And I do have three questions that I have thought this week as I approach this particular passage. And they have just stayed with me in my mind, and I want them to stay with you as we one more time read through this passage that ends the book of Mark. And remember, Mark is one of those gospel writers, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. That's not the order that they show up in the Bible, but that is the list of the four. And so the three questions that I have, why the spices? Number one. Number two is why the mention of Peter? And number three is why doesn't the story end the way that I expect? All right? I want that to hang over your minds. And if you're joining online, I want those questions to stay with you. I hope they are on the screen with you. But as I've got my Bible, we're going to read through those first eight verses of chapter 16 one more time. So keep those three questions in your mind. Why the spices? Why the mention of Peter? And why doesn't the story end the way that I expect? Here we go. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. 
Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And then I ask, well, how do you know that, Mark? They obviously told you later, right? They said nothing to no one because they were afraid. Can you imagine yourself being one of the women who assumes that your Lord that you've been following, this rabbi, this really good teacher who has just been put to death on Friday, you cannot do anything on Saturday, which is the Sabbath day, but on Sunday morning, they think in their mind, we still need to honor this person that we revere so much. We know that he's dead, so we need to go buy spices and anoint his body. I love the fact that Mark includes this detail because it reminds us that the women did not expect the tomb to be empty that morning. Did you get that? They did not expect the tomb to be empty. It's hard to read this story over and over again. For those of you who are familiar with church or perhaps you remember this story being told because we understand that, oh, Jesus is out of the grave. It's watching the Titanic. We know it sinks. Like, we know the end of the story, but can you imagine putting yourself into their position for that day as they encountered the moment where he died and they knew that he was dead because they had seen people die on crosses before, and they assumed that what they had to do as good followers of their rabbi, their teacher, was they needed to go anoint him with spices. So they needed to go purchase spices early that morning and then go to, to the tomb and do the spice thing. And you're thinking, well, why are they doing that? Well, that's a way to preserve the body, perhaps to not allow the, the aroma to um, fill the air, if you will. And they could not touch the body on Saturday, the Sabbath, which was yesterday, Holy Saturday. They had to wait until Sunday. Some scholars would say that the amount of spices that they bought could be the equivalent of multiple thousands of dollars in our day-to-day. Because that's what you did to honor the dead. That's what you did to honor someone that meant a lot to you. But they didn't expect... They didn't expect the tomb to be empty. They bought spices. It's just like watering your yard that you're about to just kind of till over and put in like drought-resistant plants. Like you don't water the grass if you're about to like rip it up. You don't buy spices if you expect the tomb to be empty. So the women expected it to be empty. I love the fact that Mark includes women here because you would not include a woman in a story in that day if you wanted it to be believed. There were, there were Jewish men that would pray this prayer on a daily basis. Thank you, Lord, for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That's how bad it was. So a woman's word had no place in court. So why in the world would Mark actually include this version of the story into his recounting? Is because there must have actually been women at the tomb that morning. And they must have encountered a tomb that was empty Because they went with spices, knowing full well that the tomb is supposed to be filled with this dead guy that they put on a cross on Friday. It's been staying stinky all the time until Sunday, and they want to address the problem with the spices. They didn't expect the tomb to be empty. 
because they had seen this happen before. We think of the cross, like we have images of cross all over our society. People adorn them in their houses. You might even have a cross in your home. You might even have a piece of jewelry. You might have a marking. You might have a tattoo. You might have something with a cross. So remember, we think of the cross and we instantly draw the connection to Jesus. But for the people in his day, the cross was very well known. Remember, that first century context, that area of the world was also a part of this thing called the Roman Empire. While the Romans, some scholars would say, didn't invent crucifixion, they're the ones that perfected it. They had used it all the time. We, uh, we took some people to see the, uh, the Passion of the Christ on Friday, which is a tough movie to just get excited about. You're like, yes, I can't wait to go see Jesus die. Should we buy popcorn? I don't know if you can. Like, right? That was like the mental question in the lobby of the theater as we were about to go into this movie. Like, what should we do? Is it okay to eat popcorn and watch Jesus die? I don't know if we can do that. But I remember my, my kids were like, hey, can we go see the movie? And I was like, mm, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want my 10-year-old to see that and have that in her mind. But then I had this thought. How many 10-year-olds in the time of Jesus would have seen crosses all over the place? There wasn't just one time that the Romans crucified someone. They did this all the time. Let's take 100 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. There's another movie that we have seen in our culture back in the day in the 60s. Perhaps you saw a movie, maybe you've seen it on like reruns or anything called Spartacus. This is Kirk Douglas. Like those of you who like Michael Douglas, this is his dad. Like that's how old it is. Spartacus. Spartacus is this guy in like around 73 BC. Leads a slavery revolt in the Roman Empire. He has been branded as a gladiator, and we love that movie with, you know, Russell Crowe and everything, but let's take this one, where Spartacus is leading the slave revolt, and they are actually winning against the Roman Empire. They're, they're beating them in a few battles. It's about two years of battles between this slave army and the Roman Empire until finally Spartacus makes this bad move and positions his army basically in between two, two garrisons of Roman soldiers that in, eventually it ends the war. And a lot of, of Spartacus' people died in the battle, but to make a point, the Roman Empire crucified 6,000 of those slaves after that. All along the Appian Way, this is like a 130-mile journey from Rome down the coast of, of Italy, almost on your way to Naples. So if you're doing the math, and I've done it, it's like a person on a cross every 40 yards. It's a lot of crosses. After uh, Herod the Great, we know this guy because we love hearing about him when Jesus is born. After Herod the Great came to power and after he died, there was another slave revolt or another revolt of the Jewish people. Well, a local Roman general named Varus comes by. And in order to quash the rebellion of the Jewish people after Herod the Great, he decides to crucify 2,000 people just on, just on the sides of the roads all throughout that area because he wants to make a point. Crucifixion was to degrade you, to show you that who was in charge. So it's easy to say that Jesus doesn't only just go to the cross. Jesus grew up in the shadow of the cross. He knew full well what the cross was all about. And if you fast forward the story one more time, 
decades after Jesus is on the scene, where finally the Romans come into Jerusalem and sack it for the last, um, with the most impact. And this is where they actually crush so much of the city. The wall becomes broken. Even parts of the temple, the rocks are thrown over down into the rubble. And today, if you were to go there, you would see the effect of what the Romans did that day, or that, that time period, during that war. But um, the two people in charge, Titus and Vespasian, father and son combo, in order to quash the rebellion one more time, they decided to crucify people. They ran out of wood, so they had to go further out into further country to bring wood in to get the point across. So the women who go to the tomb that day with their spices don't expect it to be empty because they have seen crucifixion all over the place. So for them, this is not a story of like, ah, I remember Jesus saying something like in three days. For them, they just assumed this is how the story goes. You go to the cross, you die. That's how it's supposed to work. But for them, they encounter this empty tomb. They're amazed. They have this conversation with this angelic being who says what every angel does in scripture, like, do not be afraid. And they're like, hold on a second. You're crazy right now. Of course I'm going to be afraid. We don't hear the women say anything after he begins talking. They even, like, leave the tomb trembling and in fear, as Blakely read to us earlier. But there's something that that angelic being says. And some scholars are like, well, who is it? And, like, what angel is it? Like, that's not the point. But he says, he declares, he is risen. He is not here. He's going to meet you in Galilee. You go tell his disciples and Peter. Back to question number two. Why in the world does Peter get mentioned? Because Peter needs to get mentioned. Because Peter is a failure at this point. We know the story. We, we've heard the story about Judas who sells out to Jesus, you know, sells out like where Jesus is going to be for 30 pieces of silver. And we sometimes lump a lot of the blame on a guy like Judas. But we forget sometimes that even Peter was caught in moments denying Jesus. And he feels like a failure. I wonder where you would have found Peter that weekend. If it was a movie in our day, this is the moment where we go find Peter probably at the local bar, trying to drown his sorrows in whatever means possible because he knows what a failure he has been to the king to at least the king or the rabbi that he's been following. He doesn't know what to do with this. So why in the world does this angelic being in the tomb that day say to the women, go tell his disciples and Peter? Because Jesus is getting a point across. God is reminding the ladies, don't forget to tell Peter. Because Peter needs to be welcomed back in. Peter thinks that he's on the outside, but Peter needs to be welcomed back in. And I love the specific specificity with Mark in this passage. Because it reminds us that there's actually no one, no one who can be so far and distant and betray God so much that they're not welcomed back in. I know we're not supposed to do this, and I, I, I live for studying the Bible in its truest and with the most um, sincerity that I can. And I know I'm not supposed to read myself into the story. But there are days that I need Jesus to say and Brenton. And my guess is that there are days for each of you and along with me that you need Jesus to say and your name. 
because we think we have done things that God cannot deal with, that he hasn't seen what we've done, and he's not at all thinking the way that you think he thinks about it. So when that angelic being says, go tell his disciples and Peter, it's an inclusion moment. It's like, hey, get Peter back on the bench because he's going into the game to play. Think about Peter's life before the cross. Peter, just this fumbling guy. We love him. He's so, he's prob- he's like, he's definitely an extrovert. He loves to be out there in the mix of what's happening. Sometimes he fails. Remember the moment where he's walking on water and he loses faith and begins to sink. And you're like, Peter, what are you doing? Peter says things like he shouldn't say, like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't just wash my feet, Jesus. And now all of me and Jesus is like, hold on a second. You don't even know what you're saying right now. And didn't, didn't you remember the moment that gets portrayed in that Garden of Gethsemane moment where Jesus is with his disciples as Judas is leading the Romans to go arrest him? And Peter, out of fear, grabs a sword and slices off Malchus's ear. It's actually named in Scripture. Malchus is a servant to the high priest. And his ear gets lopped off because Peter is fearful of this moment of what's happening with Jesus. So it makes sense that the angel would say, and Peter. But think about Peter's life after the cross. After the cross, Peter begins to actually well up with faith. When he speaks, if you read into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, when he speaks, thousands come to faith in Jesus. In chapter 3 of Acts, there's this moment where someone needs some food and is begging, and Peter actually heals the person in Jesus' name. And you're like, hold on a second, is this the same Jesus? No, it's not, because, I mean, the same Peter? Is that the same Peter? No, Peter before the cross is way different than Peter after the cross. So when that angelic being says, and Peter, it's because he's calling into Peter's hope toward future, much like he does to each one of us. All right, the last question that I approach this passage with is, why doesn't it end the way that I want it to end, or the way that I expect it to end? Because most people, especially on Easter Sunday, we're supposed to say things like, Jesus went to the cross for your sins. He died for you. You should feel like a bad person. You should feel shame. And then now Jesus paid the price, and now you get to go to heaven. Like, that's the story. That's the version of the story that sometimes gets portrayed. As if the cross is your entrance fee to heaven. But that's not how the story ends. Nowhere does Jesus say, I went to the cross for you. Go ahead and live your life however you want to. Just remind people every now and then that you still believe in me. And when you get to the gates or the door or whatever it is, you still get into heaven. But that's not what is told to us. Where does, the, where does that angel say for the ladies to go tell the guys to go meet Jesus? In Galilee. They're around Jerusalem at the time. Jerusalem was the focal point for the Jewish people. It's a reminder that God is removing from Jerusalem the power and impact of what his kingdom is about to do because he's saying, go meet him in Galilee. Galilee is where Jesus first called his disciples, and Galilee is the region where it's going to explode. The impact of the kingdom is going to be far-reaching because Jesus says, go meet me in Galilee. But the story doesn't end with, Because you believe in Jesus, you believe his death on the cross, you get to go to heaven. That's not the equation. And I want to really mess with you right now. 
the point of saying yes to Jesus is not to get to the kingdom. I mean, it's not to get to heaven. It's to get to the kingdom. The point of following Jesus, the point of saying yes to Jesus, is not so you get to have fire insurance away from hell. That's what we have been taught to believe for too long. And I'm not dancing into, like, heresy right now. But you cannot find for me scripture passages where Jesus says, one day, because I died on the cross for you, you get to go to heaven. What Jesus does talk about more than anything else in scripture is the kingdom. Now, all right, this is the last history lesson. This is where my mind's going, okay? Because you've got to stay with me on this. Last week, we celebrated Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into town on a donkey. Palm trees, we talked about this last Sunday, how the palm trees were actually symbols of revolution. They wanted Jesus to do something. All right, here's the next deal. Jesus rides into town, not on a donkey, just on Palm Sunday, but he rides into town during a very important week for the Jewish people, Passover. Passover. It's Passover week. It's actually Passover week in our culture because Easter for Christians all around the world to this day is always tied to Passover. Because it's when Jesus showed up and when Jesus goes to the cross is on Passover. Okay, let me break it down for you a little bit here. Passover is this moment all the way back in Scripture where God rescued his people because they felt like God had abandoned them. They were living in isolation. They were living as slaves. And they were being mistreated in Egypt. This is the story of Moses. I don't know what story you have listened to or perhaps even the, the movie version of it, whether it's Charlton Heston, Veggie Tales, etc. But when Moses leads the people out of Egypt, he reminds them, don't make bread that needs time to rise. And before you go to sleep tonight, make sure that you dip the hyssop plant into the blood of the sacrificed lamb and paint your doorpost with it. It seems like a weird thing to do. But when the angel of death entered Egypt that day, the angel of death passed over every home that had been marked with blood. Because the people are always trying to get back to a place where they can commune with God. Again, history. Here we go. All the way back at the beginning. I'm moving. The camera people are just like, what's he doing right now? Okay, over here. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Everything is great. Adam and Eve, the story of the Garden of Eden, they are with God. They are communing with God. God walks in the cool of the evening and they have this exchange. And there's so many of us like, why can't we go back to the days of the garden? Give me a chance. I won't eat from the tree, right? Like, come on. But there's this moment where we think that would have been great. Then they're out of the garden because of the sin of chapter 3. So they're again, they're out of this place of communion with God. They're always trying to get back to that place. Eventually, God calls a person like Abraham, and Abraham is told to go be a blessing to people and call them back to relationship with God. And then the people begin to rebel. They eventually get to Egypt, which is why we need a Passover moment. After the Passover, the people are out into the desert for 40 years before they're allowed back into the promised land. This is like just Old Testament 101 right here. Back into the promised land, they begin to live the way that they want to live. They make some mistakes. How about a lot of mistakes? And they don't always get what God is trying to do. So much so that God's like, if you continue to act like that, I'm going to separate myself from you. Because I can't deal with people like you 
who constantly will not live up to what I've called you to do. So then in 722 BC, we've got the Assyrians who show up and take the northern kingdom. Remember back in the old days, the kingdom was separated into two, the northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes. The northern kingdom is taken by the Assyrians in 722. The southern kingdom in 586 B.C. is taken by the Babylonians. So the people, ever since Genesis 1 and 2, have constantly lived in separation with God. They have wondered, when will God commune with them? Well, out in the desert, God creates this way called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was this place of meeting. This is where we would meet with God. Then David has this crazy idea. Well, I want to build a temple to you. It's going to be amazing. And God's like, hold on a second. You want to build me a house? I'm going to build you a house for the future, meaning a line of people. And he doesn't really get it. And then David wakes up one day and figures out, well, maybe it should be his son Solomon. Solomon builds the temple because the temple is where they're going to meet with God. Every good Jewish person wants to get to a place where God inhabits the temple again. They go through the motions all the way to Jesus' day. They're going through the motions. They're hoping one day if we get rid of the sin in our lives, maybe God will come back and live in this temple and we get to be with him. And then Jesus walks into town in Passover week and does something so crazy for the people to see that yet again there's going to be a sacrificial lamb whose blood will mark them so that when death comes, death will pass over them. So that we have the opportunity to live with God. The sins are forgiven. The cross is not God's like, oh shoot, I got to do something right now. I got to fix this because the people have messed this up. No, the cross has always been a part of God's plan. He is going to make a way for us. He is not, oh man, I don't know what to do. The people have made such a mess of this. I've got to clean it up somehow. Might as well kill my son. That's not how God thinks. God is like, I'm going to pay the price for you. I'm going to give you a way to commune with me yet again. And so when Jesus does this on Passover week, the people's bells and whistles have got to be going off and thinking, oh my gosh, what is God up to? Is this really what he's doing right now? And so when he gets out of that grave, we have an opportunity to commune with God differently because the grave is empty. Because he has beaten death. Death is the ultimate fear for every single one of us, even in 2021. Let's be real honest. We're making plans so that we don't die. How many of you have, in, that's not even asked that question. Um, we're making plans so that we don't die. And God's saying, I'm making a plan so that we can be in the kingdom. This is not get to heaven. I remember my friend Kyle um, he would tell me this story about like, hey, you know, like come across this thing where you, um, uh, what could you do to say uh, something really impressive in a meeting? And I remember him telling me the story about like um, concentric circles or um, circles that overlap each other. And I don't have an image for this. I just want you to like have a circle here and you have a circle here, but there's like this little part that meets together. And he said, you should go into a meeting and be like, hey, this is what we know and this is what we don't know, but right here's the sweet spot. And you're like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I know, they'll just be impressed. But it sounds great because this is what we know, this is what we don't know, and this is the sweet spot. Think of the idea of heaven like that. This is earth. This is heaven. When they come together, that's the sweet spot. Because we're not trying to get from this circle 
to this circle, we're actually getting to a place where God in Revelation reminds us that he's creating a new heavens and a new earth. There's a new reality. I am not a Christian so that he went to the cross for me so I can get into heaven. I am a Christian because he went to the cross for me so that I can live boldly into his kingdom. And his kingdom, he's inviting me into kingdom living. And kingdom living looks differently than my agenda. I am a selfish person by nature. You want to see selfishness? Go to any playground. That's my ball. You took my ball. Why are you on my scooter? What are you doing? You can't do that. That's my scooter. It's like kindergarten playground 101. We know this. What is God doing? He is saying, would you now live in a way that showcases my kingdom to this world? If he said, my kingdom is here, what did he mean by that? He is saying, stop living for yourself and live for my kingdom. What does that look like? We remember stories that probably Peter and his disciples would be remembered when they were with Jesus around the time of the Last Supper. And he washed their feet and he said, the greatest commandment that I can give to you is that you would love one another. This is how the world will know that you're my followers, that you love one another. Unfortunately, the world today in 2021 does not think about Christians like that because we have made a bad name of it. And I want you to boldly live into the kingdom with me. And it's hard. It's sacrificial living. It's saying, I don't choose myself. I choose the other. I heard a story years ago. And you ever hear a story, someone tell a story that you're like, I, don't, I wonder if I got the details right in my mind or if I just remember the story the way that I want to remember the story because it worked for me. Okay, just me apparently. I heard this years ago and then on Thursday, I got to be with the guy that I heard tell the story years ago and I asked him, Dave, can you retell that story that you told so many years ago and see if I got the details right? Well, he goes, you tell me your version. I'm like, okay, here's how I remember it going. I heard you tell a story about a Washington, D.C. police officer. Police are making the news these days. Washington, D.C. police officer years ago. Gut-wrenching day where he discovers that his son has been killed. And they found the killer. And it's a teenage boy. You can imagine the rage, the anger, the questions, the why that this Washington, D.C. police officer had. Goes to the trial, wants, like so many people, to see justice done, which looks like locking that kid up. And then he has this just check in his spirit that says, I need to, I need to go, I want to go ask why. Why did that have to happen? So he finds himself, because he has an in, he's a police officer, he goes to the jail, is able to meet with the kid who killed his son. Goes with the full intention of asking the question, why? Why did you do that? But in the moment, his spirit is checked. Don't ask that question, just get to know this kid. And that day sparks a friendship that lasts for the entire time that boy is in jail years on a regular basis that dc cop would go to jail to meet with this kid who killed his son and then it came time for him to be done with his prison sentence and he said i'm gonna go see that boy when he comes out and his wife says to him where do you think he's gonna go 
He's like, I don't know. I don't know if he's got a place to go to. I don't know if he, I mean, if he doesn't have family. He's got no one. And his wife says to that D.C. cop, I know what you're going to do. You're going to invite that boy to come live at our house, aren't you? And he meets that boy when he gets out of prison, has nowhere to go. And that D.C. cop says, you can come live in my house. And he slept in the same bedroom of his son. I tell that, that's like, that's earth shattering. That story is bigger than life. There's not going to be times for each of us to have that kind of a moment, but that's what the kingdom looks like. That's when the kingdom is at play, when we do not push people into a category that says, I can't deal with you because I hate you. Instead, we remember the cross, not because it's our entrance fee to heaven, it's because it's our entrance fee to the kingdom life that says forgiveness is always on the table. Love is always on the table. I don't know how this works out for you because it's a struggle for me. But when Jesus came out of the grave that day, he's not saying you get to go to heaven for free card. He's saying you actually get to involve yourself in my kingdom. And would you watch and see what the world can look like if that is true? And when he walks out of the grave that day, and they find him eventually, perhaps some of them on the road to Emmaus, some of them in Galilee, and the disciples go buck wild on telling the story about Jesus away from the grave. It's again not because they want people to go to heaven. It's because they want people to live into the kingdom. The kingdom is the whole point. The kingdom has always been the point. It does not look like our world, but the kingdom looks beautiful. And on this Easter, may we live towards the kingdom today and tomorrow and all of our tomorrows. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for, again, coming out of the grave. That is um, even too trite a statement to say. We're grateful for that you give us the, the, the hope for new life today and tomorrow. In all the things that each of us face, the, the worries of this world, the anxieties that weigh us down, we wonder if we have even enough to make it through the day. But I pray, God, that you remind us that we get to reflect your image to a world that is desperately in need of good news. May we believe yet again that your kingdom is on the move, that you are providing a way for us that leads to new life and to new hope. We want to see you this week. Help us to recognize your fingerprints all around. In a world that is calling us into places of darkness and death, lead us to new life and new light. Challenge us this week to live beyond ourselves for the, for the sake of the kingdom. And may we see you on display in powerful ways in our own lives and those around us. We ask all of this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Hey, I want you to stand. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.